and as we uh, enter another year, I wonder what your hopes and dreams are. Do you have hopes? Do you have dreams? I wonder have you, this time of year and, and into the next week can be a time of reflection. We can get a little bit introspective and, and start asking, well, well, like, what has changed in the last year? What have I seen God do? Um, what's my, my dream for the new year? We call them resolutions. Um, but actually, I, I feel like New Year's resolutions are a bit shallow because most of the time by the 3rd of January, we've, we've given up on them. Just go to your local gym in January and you'll find out. Um, but, but if you want to join a gym, join in February. There'll be plenty of room. Um, and, but, but I actually think there's something more than that, that Yes, with, with Christ, every day is a new start, every day is a new beginning, but there is something. There's a marker um, at midnight tonight, isn't there? There's that marker of, of actually, I feel like there's new possibilities, there's, there's new opportunities. I wonder, do you have dreams? I wonder, do you have a prayer for the new year? I wonder, is there something you're praying for uh, that something God has put in your heart? I, I know for some of you there is. Some of you it'll be to do with jobs. Some of you it'll be to do with family. Maybe you haven't got a prayer, and, 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 or, or maybe you have one, but you're not sure how to phrase it. And what I want to do this morning is to look at one prayer um, in Scripture. And I believe that if you, if you pray this with passion and conviction, uh, you will see God do wonderful things in your life. It's a prayer that's tucked away in one of the least read chapters in one of the least read books of the Bible, First Chronicles. I'm sure you were all reading First Chronicles this morning before you came to, to church. Let me just say, if, you, if somebody becomes a Christian and they say, where do I start? Don't send them to First Chronicles because the first nine chapters are essentially a, a, a list of five to six hundred names. It's genealogy after genealogy after genealogy. It's just a list of everybody from Adam who's ever been born. It's like reading a foreign phone book, uh, and it's not very exciting. But right in the middle of those first nine chapters is chapter four, and it begins like all the other ones. If you go to the next slide, there, the descendants of Judah, Perez, Hezra, da 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 da. It goes through. I'm not even going to try and pronounce those names. You'll think I'm speaking in tongues without interpretation. But 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 all these list of names of people, and the, the Zorathites, Etam, all this list of names. But then something happens. When he gets to verse 9, the writer mentions this fella called Jabez. And as he mentions this fella called Jabez, instead of moving on to the next name and Jabez beget, da, 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 he stops for a second because there's something that triggers something in his memory when he mentions Jabez. There's something he wants us to know about this guy. Look at what he says. Jabez was more honorable than his brother's. His mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. And then after we hear that, if you go on to the next verse there, we go through, start, he just starts to list the names all over again. Keeps going with the phone book. Just list the names. So there's something, there's something strange about this. That he's on this roll, listing name after name after name. He mentions Jabez and it triggers something. He stops and he says, there's something these people need to know about Jabez. There's something important. I'd forgotten about it. I nearly passed over it. But there's something about Jabez that I just have to tell you. It's a little bit like if somebody says, how 
was your week? And you say, you know, my week wasn't bad. I, I went to work. I brought the kids to school. I, I you know, I, I went to the gym. I slept in one more. Oh, that's right. And my boss, I forgot to say, my boss called me in and gave me a five grand period. And it's suddenly, in the midst of all the ordinary, or, or I was in McDonald's and I bumped into Tom Cruise or, or, or whatever. He wouldn't be in McDonald's. But, but, but you know something, you're, you're talking about your daily routine and something stands out that you'd kind of forgotten about. You were about to pass over and suddenly you realize this was significant, this was different, this was not ordinary. And, and, and the writer of Chronicles is doing that. He's going through these names and as soon as he mentions Jabez, he goes, that's right, Jabez. Jabez isn't normal. He's not your regular run-of-the-mill guy. Look at these two verses. We're going to see what it tells us about Jabez. Why was it so important for us to know about him? Verse 9, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Most of you maybe have never heard of Jabez. Uh, about 15 years ago, a little book came out, The Prayer of Jabez. Anyone remember that? little sort of cream book became a, a multi-million bestseller for a guy called Bruce Wilkinson. Apart from that, nobody, he's not one of the big names. He's not a David or a Joseph or an Elijah. He's not one of the big stars of the Bible. He's one of the lesser known figures. And yet, God wants us to know stuff about him. The first one is this. Jabez was a man of honor. Jabez was a man of honor. Look at what it says. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. It's not just that he was a man of honor. He was more honorable than other men in his generation. There was something about him. Jabez stood out. He shone he was different. He was distinct. He was a man of character. He had, was a man of integrity, of reputation. There was something that set him apart from the other men and women in his culture. We don't know what made him more honorable. It doesn't tell us. Honor isn't something you can buy. You can't buy honor. Honor is something that you earn through your lifestyle. Honor is something that people see in you. You can't tell people, I'm honorable. That's like saying I'm humble. You know, you, you can't do that. Honor something that other people see in you and they ascribe it to you. We don't know if he was more generous. We don't know if he was a harder worker. We don't know that he, if he loved God more. Uh, we, we don't know what it was, but Jabez was held in high esteem and God noticed him. Even though he wasn't a big name like an Elijah or a David, God paid attention to him and noticed how honorable he was. And I simply want to say this that we live in a culture where there is a huge pressure to conform. And it's getting worse. That if you hold an opinion that is different to the mass of this culture, if you hold to standards in this book that are different to what this culture tells you is truth, that if you believe that there's one way to God, and his name is Jesus, and there's not many gods or many ways to God, it's easy to blend in. And there's a huge pressure to conform. There's a huge pressure to go with the flow. There's a huge pressure just to keep your mouth shut. And that pressure is going to grow in 2018. That's not a prophetic statement. That's just watching what the, what's happening in the world. That the pressure to conform, the pressure just to go with the flow, the pressure just to do what everyone else is doing is great. And yet God called us to be a people who are more honorable 
than those around us. He calls us, calls us to be a people who are salt and light. That's what Matthew says, isn't it? In Matthew, Jesus said in Matthew 5, you're the salt of the earth. In other words, you're called to bring out the, the flavors. You're called to savor. You're called to, 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 to stop corruption. And you're also the light of the world. You're called to shine. In fact, Philippians says this. In Philippians it says that you are to shine. Do everything, Philippians 2, do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God without fault and warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. One of the biggest problems with the church, and particularly denominations like uh, I'm part of, as a Church of Ireland minister, and we're part of, one of the biggest problems throughout history of, of churches and denominations has been this. We have thought that if we're like the culture, the culture will like us. That if, if we just conform to the culture, the culture will all want to come into us. If we just adopt the values of the culture, then they'll all go, those Christians are so nice. Church, we do not make a difference by being the same. We make a difference by being different. And churches all over this planet are closing and dying because they've conformed to the culture. Because they've adopted the values of a culture which is heading towards death and hell, quite honestly. And the churches thought, well, we'll just get on the bandwagon with them. Guys, the only churches that God will bless are churches that hold firm to his word, hold firm to his standards, and stick to his truth, and refuse to budge, that are more honorable in a corrupt generation, that we will shine like stars, that we will be distinct, that we will be different, that we'll be a people of God who live differently, who are more honest, who have more integrity, who when everybody's seeing how, how little they can do, we're seeing how can we go the extra mile, when everybody's being stingy and holding on to their money, we're releasing ours in generosity, when everybody's thinking just about themselves we're thinking how can we help other people how can we lift other people up how can we encourage other people how can we bless this community when people are are selfish and self-centered we're people who are outward focused that's what it means to be more honorable that's what it means to shine like stars that's what it means to be salt and light in a generation number two next thing we learn about jabez is this jabez didn't have a good start his mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. I gave birth to him in pain. Now, names are important. Those of you who have kids, I'm sure you probably uh, went through a lot of names. There's a lot of thought goes into names. Uh, Hollywood celebrities are picking all sorts of crazy names for their kids. And, and it's probably nice when they're babies and they're pictured in OK Magazine or whatever. But as those kids hit 9 or 13, they're going to get bullied uh, for some of these names. Uh, I, mean, I mean, here's some. Gwyneth Paltrow, her daughter's called Apple. Apple, which isn't too bad. Kim Kardashian and Kanye West, Northwest. Let's just hope he doesn't have the 200. Or, <laughs> 200. Be the Northwest 200. Um, <coughs> Took some of you a while to get that one. Jamie Oliver, daughters Poppy Honey, Daisy Boo, Blossom Rainbow, and they had a son called Buddy Bear. Uh, Bob Geldof, uh, daughters Fifi Trixabel, Peaches Honey, Blossom and Little Pixie, uh, Katie uh, Jordan Price and Peter Andre, Princess Tiami. 
Like she's not going to grow up with an ego. Sure, she's not princess is her name. Sylvester Stallone has a son called Sage Moonblood. And Rob Morrow, the actor Rob Morrow, has a daughter called Two. Tomorrow. True story. Names are important, and in ancient Israel, names were even more important. Names were prophetic in ancient Israel. They said something about what uh, God, what what the people wanted God to do through. It was names were prophetic. They they said something about what 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 God was going to do through your life. What they longed to see God do in your life. What they wanted you to become in life. Jabez. So, what does Jabez mean? Jabez literally means he causes pain. Imagine that being your name, pain. It says, why would his mother call him that? It says, I gave birth to him in pain. Now, I I don't have personal experience, okay? I'm going to disclaimer here. But I I don't think any childbirth is without some degree of discomfort. I mean, I think women do exaggerate it. If you've ever had... I mean, men, if they've ever had man flu, they would know what pain was, you know? Um, I'm, just, I'm just saying that now. Um, I'm going to get a beating when I get home. It'll be a cold night in the Cooney house. I'm glad we made up the spare room this week. Um, but, but there's a certain degree of discomfort, let's just say, with birth. Okay? But there was something about Jabez's birth that was especially painful for his mother. We don't know if it was physical pain. Maybe he was a huge baby, a 12-pounder. It was either going to be Jabez or Sumo. Um, we, we don't know, but um, maybe it was an emotionally painful pain. Maybe her husband died just before the child was born. Maybe her, her husband left her. We don't know what the pain was. We just know that there was some intense physical or emotional pain that surrounded the birth of this baby, so that when she saw him, all she could think about was Jabez. He, he causes pain. He, he's been born out of pain. There was suffering surrounding the birth of this boy. It's not the best start in life. It's not a name that you want to grow up with. It's not a name or a label that you want to attach to you. You know, you're out with your friends. What's your name? My name's David. What does that mean? It means beloved. My name's Ethan. What does that mean? That means strong. My name's Jabez. I'm a pain. It's not, it's not the, the best start in life. It's a sort of name that could hold you back and you could allow it to define you. But Jabez rose above his name. He rose above the label. He rose above the label that, you see, you can't, you can't determine the labels other people put on you. You can determine whether or not you live according to those labels. And I noticed something later on in his prayer. I noticed it yesterday. I had finished writing this message and I noticed that the last part of his prayer is this. Keep me from pain. I'm called pain, God. Keep me from pain. He causes pain, says God, keep me from pain. What he's saying is, Lord, don't let me live according to the label that somebody else has put upon me. They might call me pain, but I'm praying to you, God, because you're bigger than pain. And I'm praying to you that you will let me live a life which is bigger than a label or a a, a name that somebody else has placed upon me. It didn't matter how he began, he realized it's how he finishes. You see, you can have the best start in life and finish really badly, or you can have the worst start in life and finish really well. Do you know what makes the difference? You. How you choose to honor God. How you choose to allow God to work in your life. I know some people who, I remember hearing, some of you know the singer Brian Houston. 
I remember hearing Brian saying that, that very early on in his life he was told he was an accident by his, his mum. His mum told him in a fit of rage one day you're an accident. And I remember him starting leading worship and saying, you know what, I realise that I'm no accident. I might have been an accident to my mum and, and whoever my dad was, but I'm no accident because God planned me. It says he knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I don't know what your story is. Maybe you feel like an accident. Maybe you're from a messed up family. Maybe your parents are separated or divorced. Maybe you weren't wanted. Maybe you don't even know who your parents are. I had a a staff member in my church in Dublin who had never met her dad in her entire life. She didn't know her dad's name. Her her mom had been on a a business trip and had a fling in, in, in Asia somewhere and she was the result. She had never met her dad. And those things can define you or you can say actually I have a father. I have a father who loves me. I have a father who picked me. My natural father mightn't know me. My natural father mightn't love me. But I have a heavenly father who absolutely adores me. Maybe you've been given a label your whole life. Others have said things about you. Maybe you've placed labels on yourself. You know what? Sometimes we place labels on ourselves and we start to live out of those labels. We start to live out. Like, like I remember hearing somebody talk about somebody said when they were a teenager they were shy. And so they always labeled themselves as shy. And they knew God was calling them to step up and do things for him. But they kept saying, I'm shy, I'm shy. And they had to break that. Maybe the label over you is that you're emotional. You're too emotional. You feel like a failure. You're a weirdo. You're lonely. You're insecure. You don't fit in. You don't like the way you look. None of those things have to define your life. None of those things have to determine your future. The labels that people put on you do not have to determine your destiny because we have a God who is greater than those labels. He is a God who takes nobodies with a name like pain and he makes them stand out. He's the God of new beginnings. And what your life has looked like up until now at the end of 2017, it does not have to always look like. If you will do what Jabez did, you can see God do incredible things through you. What did Jabez do? What was, what was the secret that made Jabez so significant? It's simply this. He prayed a prayer. He prayed a prayer. That's it. He had the faith and courage to say, God, I want you to do something for me. And one prayer, one prayer made all the difference in his life. What was the prayer? Jabez cried out for God's blessing. Jabez cried out for God's blessing. Look at verse 10. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, oh, that you would bless me. Notice it says he cried out to the God of Israel. Not he whispered. Not he muttered some half-hearted prayer. Not he asked politely. No, he cried out. He was passionate. He was desperate. He was loud. He wanted to get God's attention. Some of us don't pray enough because we're not desperate enough. Some of us don't cry out passionately enough because we don't, we don't actually believe that God can change our situation. You know, the level of your prayer is a reflection of your faith in God. If you pray small prayers, it's often because you believe in a small God. I want to pray prayers so big that people have no doubt of what I believe about our God, that he is awesome, he is incredible, he is able to do abundantly above all I ask or imagine. 
small prayers. We, we have this false humility thing in Northern Ireland. We're always afraid of getting above our station. And we've told poppy syndrome that if we see somebody we think getting a bit above there, we love to cut them down. And some of that can look really spiritual, but actually I believe it's false humility. And I believe it's ungodly humility. That our God is a God who created us to live a big life. To pray big prayers and to have big dreams. And there's something when we start to get hold of God's heart and start to cry out and be a passionate people and cry out for him to change our community, to change our city, to change our workplace, to change our family, to save that family member who's going wayward, to save that person in our family who who has been so resistant to God. God wants us. Somebody has said, you know, God's not deaf. You don't need to shout. And I would say God's not timid either. Just read the Psalms, read the scriptures, read about this. Jabez didn't mutter, he didn't whisper, he didn't. He cried out to the God of Israel. And sometimes I think God wants to see just how passionate we are. Remember the parable he told in Luke 11 about somebody who had a friend who came at midnight? And they and they've no food, and they go to the next door neighbor, and the next door neighbor won't get up, and they nearly kick the door down. God is saying, "I want you to be audacious. I want you to be persistent. I want you to keep praying until something happens. Push, pray until something happens. Push. There's doors that are open or are, are, are available to you, but they won't open fully until you pray until something happens. Jabez is a man who wanted something from God. And so he cried out for it. What did he want? He wanted God's blessing on his life. You know, we throw the word of blessing around so much, don't we? Somebody sneezes, bless you. Lord, bless the missionaries in the world. Lord, bless our family. Bless our church. Bless. Um, we don't really know. We, we just uh, Bless is one of those Christian jargon words. Just bless us. We, we need blessing. Bless. Do we really know what blessing means? Here's what blessing means in the Bible. To impart God's supernatural favor and empowerment. It's an impartation of God's supernatural favor and empowerment. That's what God's blessing is. In other words, it's God doing something for you that you can't do for yourself. It's God enabling you to do something you could never do on your own. And that's what Jabez asks for. God's supernatural favor and empowerment. Now, I have to be honest. I read this and I think that sounds a bit selfish. In our culture, if you're in America, that sounds fine. Now, if you're American here, we mean everybody else except you. Okay? <coughs> But honestly, we, you know, it's kind of like if, on that name, if you watch Christian TV, it'll be just bless us, Lord, bless us, give us a big car, give us a private jet, give us a bigger house. That's kind of what we think of, prosperity gospel and all of this stuff. And we tend to shy away from saying, God, will you, will you bless me? Will you give me your blessing? It feels a bit self-centered. It feels a bit greedy. It's easy to say, God, bless them, bless them, bless them. Bless me. Like, like that's a bit self-centered. That's a wee bit arrogant. But what Jabez realizes is this. That he can only give to others what he has himself. You cannot give something to someone else unless you have it yourself. But ten minutes before I came out here this morning, 
My five-year-old son ran into me. He said, Dad, I need blue tack. Dad, have you any blue tack? Now, what he needs blue tack for at 9.30 on a Sunday morning, his mother only knows. But I just went, Elijah, I don't have blue tack. He went, I need blue tack. I went, Elijah, here are my words. I can't give you something I don't have. If I don't have it, I don't have it. And the... That the, the, the thing about God's people were, were that God always wanted to bless his people so that they would be a blessing. Look at what he told Abraham, or look at what Abraham said, Genesis 12, 2. God says this to Abraham, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great. Even that makes some of us uncomfortable. God said, I will make your name great. We're going, no, God, let me just make your name great. And God's going, yeah, when your name's great, actually, that'll give glory to my name. And you will be a blessing. I will bless you, he says, so that you can bless other people. You know, I think sometimes as Christians, we're better at giving blessing than receiving it. People blessing us makes us uncomfortable sometimes. We were blessed recently by somebody, by a number of people. And, and my wife, her first reaction was, oh, it makes me uncomfortable. And we, we know that that's like because we, we just, there's something about people blessing us. Like we, we had friends a, a wee while ago now, and, and we'd seen that they'd been working hard. It was another pastor and his wife. And I remember we drove away and we said, let's get them a voucher for Dean's restaurant in Belfast and just bless them with it. And then a wee while later, I was in a, a, a restaurant, a coffee shop in Belfast, and there was a guy there who I didn't know that well, and I got chatting to him. And when I went down to pay at the end, I said, oh, the guy you were chatting to has already paid. And I felt really uncomfortable. I had no problem with blessing somebody else, but I struggled with them blessing me. And God wants us to be a people who receive blessing gracefully and give blessing generously receive blessing gracefully and give blessing generously then there's others of us who are really good at receiving blessing but we're not so good at giving it i was in you've probably heard me say about twenty four thousand times but now israel last year just in case you didn't know and uh, I, I i i was going to say i swam in the dead sea i i, I floated in the dead sea and uh, i got it my eyes stung out and a mouthful. It's just it's, honestly, it's the most weird, bizarre place to to try to swim. Anybody ever done it? It's just yeah, isn't it strange? Just the most bizarre. And it's, it's when you get it in your eyes, it's literally like acid in your eyes. It's so salty. And, and I was thinking, like, I, I asked, well, why is the sea dead? And 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 why, there's no life in it whatsoever. And you know what they said? It's not actually really a sea. It's just a landlocked kind of lake. But there's inlets, but there's no outlet. That's why it's dead. It's such a low point that all the salty water flows in, but there's nowhere for it to flow out. And therefore, there's no life. And it's not a picture sometimes of, the, of a life which longs to be blessed, but has no outlet. God, bless me. God, give me. God, prosper me. God, God, just, just, just bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. And God said, well, will you be a blessing to others? No, then you become like the dead sea. You become lifeless. God's will for us is not that we will be a reservoir holding everything to ourselves, but that we will be a channel and a conduit. That as he pours out to us, we will pour out to others. As he pours out to us, we pour out to others. And as he does that, as we do that, it creates this just continual channel. That's my dream for me as a person, but that's my dream for us as a church.
that God would prosper us, not so that we can be a prosperous church, so that we can be a blessing to this community, that we will be a generous people, not so we can build big buildings or do you, you know, get the best sound system, but that we would be a people. Chris looked up there, he's like, really? I want a big sound system. I saw you. Um, that will be a blessing too. But that we can reach people, that we can be a generous community. Let's be channels and conduits of God's blessing. God loves to bless generous people. God looks down and he sees generous people. He goes, I, want to bless. I can trust them with blessing. I can trust. And it's not just about money. Money's part of it. Resources, gifts, talents, relationships, all of that stuff. But, but, but God, when he looks down and he sees somebody who's generous, he goes, I can trust them with that. When he sees someone who's tight and stingy, he goes, why would I give them anything? Because if you hold on to it, that's all you've got. But if you release it, God takes it and multiplies it. Proverbs 11 says this. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. Remember what blessing is? God's supernatural favor and empowerment. I need that this year. 2018, I need God's supernatural favor and empowerment in my life. I need God to do some things that I cannot do for myself. I need God to step into some situations that I have no idea how to handle. I need God's wisdom. I need his protection. I need his help. I need his help to lead this church. I need God's supernatural. I need his blessing. And so I am going to cry out. Remember Jacob when he was wrestling with God? What did he say? I won't let go until you bless me. Some of us need to go through that wrestling and, and in prayer and get what God has for us. James 2 says this, or James 4 2, you do not have because you do not ask. You see, God, I, I think God has so much more for us than we ever realize. I think some of us think God is stingy and tight-fisted and that he's a reluctant giver. Our God loves to give lavishly and abundantly. He who gave his own son, how will he not also freely give us all things? If somebody's willing to give up their own son for you, there's not much else they're going to hold back. He is an abundant God, and when we come to Christ, all of his promises are yes and amen. Some, of, some friends of mine, good friends of mine, a number of years ago bought a house in Hollywood in County Down. And it, was, it belonged to a, an old lady who ha, had passed away and, and she had left it to her son and daughter to, to sell. And all they wanted was the money for the house. They didn't, they didn't want any hassle. They just wanted it sold quickly. They wanted the money so they could go on with their lives. And so the, basically the agreement was this. Whoever buys the house has to take every single thing in the house. We don't want to clear it out. We don't want the hassle of getting rid of anything. Um, we just want... It done with. We want the cash. We want to move on with our lives. And so these friends of mine bought the house, signed the agreement. Everything in the house is now our responsibility and our ownership. And as they began to clear things out, they, they looked up the chimney and there was a bag with £3,000 in it. That was a good day. And, and that was theirs. It was completely legally theirs because it had been, so everything in that house had been signed over to them. 
when they got the house, they got all the riches that came with it. Even though at the time they didn't know what those riches were. And when we come to Christ, the Bible says this, that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We get all of, of, of his riches. What is it grace means? God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches. We get all of the resources of heaven available to us. So why not seek God's blessing and favor on your life? We're nearly done. Number four, Jabez prayed for a bigger life. Verse 10, Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Enlarge my territory. Here's what other translations say. Widen the borders of my life. Move the boundaries out further. In other words, God, I want you to stretch me. Give me more responsibility. Help me to have a greater impact for you and for your kingdom. Make my life bigger than it is right now. A lot of us settle for less than what God has made available. Jabez wasn't willing to settle. He said, God, I know where I am, but I know that you have more. So God, I want you to expand my boundaries. I want you to to increase my influence and my impact. I want you to widen my borders. I want you to push back the lines that seem to define my life. And I want to have greater kingdom impact for you. He wanted his life to count. He wanted to be stretched. And I think just as many Christians find it hard to ask for God's blessing, so many Christians also ask, find it hard to ask for increased influence and impact. We don't want to be arrogant and big-headed. And so we live small lives. We're content to live small lives. We become humble. We shrink. We, we, we make as little impact as possible. Do you know what happens when we do that? The people who make the greatest influence and impact in the world are the ungodly. And then we complain about the mess in the world. There's no place, can I say this? The Bible makes it very clear there is no place in the church and there's no place in God's people for arrogance and selfish pride. God opposes the proud. Okay? But it's time for God's people to step up and step out and become all that God has made us to be. It's time for us to seek to have influence and impact for his kingdom in every sphere of life. If you're a nursery worker, be the best nursery worker you can be. If you're a teacher, be the best teacher. If you're a doctor, be the best doctor. If you're a businessman, be the best businessman. If you're a politician, at least just try and work. If you're a grandmother or a mother, be the best mother or grandmother you can be. If you're a bin man, you know what? Empty those bins in style. You know, Be ambitious for the kingdom. I have dreams and ambitions for my life, and I have dreams and ambitions for this church. I want to see this church be a place of kingdom influence in this community. I want to see not just hundreds, but thousands reached in this community with the gospel of Christ. I want us to have a more visible building, not just so people can go, wow, that's a monument to to their glory, but so that people can come in and receive the help they need. I want us to have a women's refuge center, anti-traffic and organization. I want us to have a food bank. I want us to have debt counseling. I want us to have creches and cafes and drop-in centers and counseling rooms for the local community. I want on a Saturday afternoon there to be a place in this community that's visible with prayer written outside, healing prayer, and that anybody who goes to Rushmere who's sick can walk in through the door and be touched by the kingdom of God. That's what I want. Is that ambitious? Yes. 
I'm, I want to be ambitious for those things. I want to reach people from every background and social economic group. I want to see healings and miracles every day, not just here, but everywhere we go. I want us to get up every Sunday and have testimonies of lives being transformed that week. I want to see people healed. I want to see marriages restored. I want to see people get out of wheelchairs. I want to see people free from depression. I want to see people get out of debt and prosper. I want to see people with addictions have those things broken. I want to see revival break out in this land. Am I ambitious? Yes. Do you think God wants me to be? Yes. Why? Because those ambitions reflect his heart. They're not selfish ambitions. They're ambitions for his kingdom and the glory and the honor and the praise will go to him. Pray big prayers. I think sometimes we pray small prayers because we we think that's all God can handle. But here's the other thing I think. I think sometimes we pray for less because we're afraid that if God gives us something, somebody else is missing out. It's a bit like that last roast day on Christmas Day. Yeah? That everybody looks at it. That last roast day. And you think, well, if I get that, somebody else is going to miss out. It's like that last bit of pizza. You know, you're all sitting there, you're starving, you're looking, there's one bit of pizza. I think sometimes we think God's like that, that there's only so much pizza there. And if we, you know what? God just makes a whole other pizza. God is a God of unlimited abundance and resource. And when he blesses us, there is still more than enough left for every other church and every other Christian in this community. He is unlimited in every way. Pray big prayers from a big God and believe for big things. And finish up here. Jabez, number five. Jabez sought God's protection. Jabez sought God's protection. Verse 10, let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. See, when you start praying prayers like this, God bless me. Give me your supernatural empowerment and enablement. Enlarge my territory and increase my influence and impact. Life becomes scary. Life becomes unpredictable. And can I be honest? I like predictability a bit. I like comfort. I like security. I like to plan things out. I like to know what's happening. But when you step out and start praying these prayers, sometimes your life can become a little bit scary. And that's why Jabez says, you know what? God, if you're going to answer the first bit of this prayer, here's what I need. I need your hand to be with me. And I need you to keep me from harm. Because I know this is a risky life, this life of following God. I know this God-first life is not the easiest life. So keep me from harm. Keep me from pain. Put me under your protection. Today is the last day of 2017. How's this year been for you? What's different? I wonder if you, can you think back to New Year's Eve 2016? What has changed apart from a few more grey hairs, an inch or two around your waist? What else is different? You see, here's my fear is that we just drift through life. We live the same year just 70 or 80 times. And yet there's so much more God has for us. And we come to the end of our lives and we think about all the things we could have, would have, should have done. But we didn't. Why? Because we just didn't have the courage to pray big prayers and believe in a big God. I love what one writer, Alan Gooder, wrote. 
She said that she can live on bland food, so to avoid an ulcer. You can drink no tea, coffee or other stimulants in the name of health. Go to bed early. Avoid all controversial subjects so that you never give offence. Mind your own business. Avoid involvement in other people's problems. Spend money only on necessity and save all you can. You can do all those things and still you can slip and break your neck in the bath and it'll serve you right. <laughs> Life is too short. Remember years ago, I don't even have a coin on me, that's how bad Christmas has been. Um, I know, I know my wife takes it all. Um, but I remember years ago at Manifest, a thing that used to be in the Ulster Hall, somebody holding up a coin, a single coin, they said, this is your life. How are you going to spend it? You've only won. And that impacted me. That was probably 25 years ago, and that impacted me. You have one life. How are you going to spend it? What will you spend it on? And as you begin 2018, I just I want you to ask yourself, what am I going to spend my life on this year? What am I going to invest my life in? What is God calling me to do? And maybe this is the prayer you need to pray this year. God bless me. Find it when you go home. I challenge you to do something. I challenge you to pray this prayer every day for January. Every day. I'll put it up on Facebook this afternoon, okay? So you have it. Every day for January, pray this prayer line by line and see what God does. By the time we have our week of prayer and fasting at the end of January. God bless me. Give me your supernatural favor and empowerment. God, expand my territory. Give me all that you have for me. Increase my influence and impact on the community and the people around me. God, let your hand be with me and keep me from harm. Protect me. Watch over me. Watch over us. Watch over our family. Put your angels around us. But do you know what the best thing is? Look at what it says in verse 10 after Jabez prays this prayer. And God granted his request. God gave him what he asked for. God says, yes, it's all yours. I'll give you what you want. In other words, God liked this prayer. God didn't chastise him. Say, stop being so selfish. Stop being so self-centered. God liked his prayer and answered it. And you know what I like about that? It's a prayer that's already been field tested. It's a prayer that's already been shown that God will answer it. So you can pray it for yourself. You can pray it for your own life and your own situation. I'm going to finish with a quote by one of my great heroes of the faith who I, I think I've read every biography or autobiography about him, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, great preacher of the 18th century in London. He said this, I make bold to assert that in the service of God nothing is impossible and nothing is improbable. Go for great things, brethren and sisterin, in the name of God. Risk everything on his promise and according to your faith, it will be done for you.